You are listening to Viral Desh Show, a podcast for enlightening Indians. My name is Anj and I will be in discussion with field experts and intellectuals to talk about topics which matters. Hello everyone, welcome to the show. This is the first episode of India After Pandemic series. In this series, we will be discussing the current and the future of India with field experts and intellectuals. In this we will be discussing about tech future after pandemic, discussions on current situation in India and how tech is helpful or a nightmare with data privacy and mandatory usage of Aarogya Setu app. And to discuss this, I have with me Mr. Abhishek Bakshi. He is a digital consultant and also writes for Forbes and other publications and also a founder of the thepodcasthub.in. Thank you very much sir for trusting me and agreeing to be my first guest for the show and welcome to the show. Uh, thanks for having me, Ansh, and congratulations on starting a podcast. I really love the medium, and I engage in a lot of podcasts. I listen to a lot of podcasts, so always, always happy to have more people joining in the medium. Happy to be your guest. Let, let's discuss. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for your time. As you know, already we are in the middle of a global pandemic, and how our government is using technology to fight this pandemic. Whereas we in India still don't have data privacy framework or a data protection laws. When it comes to making Aragyasetu app mandatory for all private and public employees, my two-part question here is: What do you think about Aragyasetu app? That is number one. And are we getting into a bigger pandemic without data privacy and personal data protection laws like two, three years down? line uh, before we we kind of discuss the privacy issue of course there is no denying that this is a major crisis this is also unprecedented i don't think many governments institutions uh, healthcare institutions financial institutions or businesses would have prepared themselves for it so everybody is uh, kind of working on it as it goes uh, learning on the job so to say so there are the governments individuals and institutions are bound to make mistakes and that is okay if, if those are done with good intent and also when the uh, intent is defined and there is transparency now coming back to what you uh, started with the problem with any of these initiatives uh, the government uses digital tools or telecommunication systems is that there is no law dealing with personal data protection in india that that's the basis of any problem that we face why why experts activists and academicians can debate on whether arogya setu app is doing things in the right manner or in a wrong manner it can never be fully right because there is no law on personal data protection and this has been in discussion this has been in debate since uh, last few years especially with the advent of digital technologies especially with the government's keen interest in uh digital medium uh whether it's for payments whether it's for e governance services whether it's for uh citizenship uh things like aadhar uh, and that has also been debated quite a lot in the past so that forms the basic problem the lack of privacy laws and absolutely no personal data protection law so even if arogya setu app uh and i and i would debate it as we discuss it later uh, i don't believe it but even if we take it on the face value that arogya setu app is done with the right intention is the best in technology that we can get uh, has no issues at all uh, there would be still the un- underlying issue of no clear sentiment on the data that you collect out of all the citizens that you now are forcing people to install and download the app yeah that is true even army has advised its personnel to use aarogya setu with precautions 
हाउ कैन वी ट्रस्ट द ऐप इफ आर्मी इज रेजिंग रेड फ्लैग और डू यू थिंक वैन इट कम्स टू आर्मी इट्स अनदर इशू इट बिकम्स अ नेशनल सिक्योरिटी इशू सी येस वेन इट कम्स टू आर्मी पर्सनल देर इज अ डेफिनेट ओवर बियरिंग नेशनल सिक्योरिटी इन माइंड विच आई आई रिमेंबर वेन लॉर्ड ऑफ चाइनीज ब्रांड्स वर लॉन्चिंग इन इंडिया वन आफ्टर दी अदर वेन स्मार्ट फोन बूम वॉज कमिंग इन and uh, some of them had their servers outside india so whatever registration info or your usage information was going was going outside uh, india uh, on the servers in china because they were only a small business in india they were just starting their businesses now most of the top brands have their uh, servers in india and the information is kept in india so even at that time uh, indian army and few other government agencies had disallowed using chinese phones and they broadly said chinese phones instead of uh, Uh, specifying which brands X Y Z, Xiaomi was the one, but that was also because Xiaomi was one of the more popular brands at that time. So uh, those those uh, issues were mostly because the security perspective of armed forces and other such institutions is way higher than a common person. Again, should my data go outside uh, India uh, to a Chinese server from a company that I, maybe I'm I'm all okay with sharing my data with Alibaba. uh which is a chinese company has their servers in china or am i not there is no personal data protection law so all that is only so only because of the customer interest so because shami wants to do its business in india wants to build trust in india so they will bring their servers to india and uh, uh, keep our uh, keep data of users in india geo fence to india that's shami's uh, interest for selling their phones in india but there is no data protection uh, that i can uh, argue with shami uh, because there are no such laws in india and again we circle back to the same point the underlying issue with all these is the same yeah i think correct me if i am wrong is it really something to do with tech or laws of course that's there we need to have such laws but my understanding is is it really because the government we have had very colorful past when it comes to snooping and using data to target individuals so the fear is more because of the government we have is very vindictive towards a particular community or anybody who dissent Right. Uh, that's absolutely a genuine concern, and I like the phrase uh, you used, "colorful past." We've seen these debates uh, even in case of Aadhaar, and a, a lot of my activist friends uh, have, and academicians have written about it. A lot of my journalist friends have written critical pieces about Aadhaar, and we've seen major leaks happening. The problem with this government is not acknowledging those issues. Every time there was a data breach in Aadhaar, or every time there was some issue. with uh, a service not being rendered because aadhar authentication wasn't done uh, for, pe- for rural people for uh, people under party line where they need their rations and things like that or healthcare this government could not respond to the, that criticism May, uh, most of the time the response is either dismissing the media report or replying and i i uh, distinctly remember most of these are done on twitter and uh, the aadhar uh, twitter handle would just the uidai uh, twitter handle the agency that manages aadhar would just tweet out absolutely wayward statements it is embarrassing that a government institution responding to a data breach or a privacy issue or somebody denied having some service response in a very juvenile manner most of the clarifications are in a very juvenile manner and because of that past 
and even with now uh, the case with arogya setu there are a lot of concerns about privacy has anyone answered that no it's only when an opposition leader like uh, rahul gandhi tweets something about it uh, then uh, india's it minister who who's as as uh, funny on twitter than anybody else because he just responds uh, in a ad hominem attack on rahul gandhi now their political equations uh, are their concern it's not my concern i think uh, rahul gandhi raised a genuine question it is also the question that i want to raise it's just that ravi shankar prasad would not respond to me so i am happy that rahul gandhi raised that question as a citizen of india as somebody who you are mandating to download the app you need, you need to give those answers this government will not give you answers there are other concerns there are Uh, several suggestions made by uh, legal folks uh, again ac- academics and uh, journalists but those are one not uh, received not absorbed and second not responded to the people keep asking questions this government does not respond and with their colorful past as you mentioned there is no trust i i'm happy that the government is looking at something in line with what the world is also looking at to fight this crisis but it cannot be just silence because the greater goal is something else one day the pandemic would get over where is my data going after that very big statements in the terms of conditions of arogya setu i just before we got on to this call i just learned in noida uh, in uttar pradesh they mandated the arogya setu app so it's compulsory to download it otherwise it's an offense under some IPC Act, which is very weird, which is also uh, should not hold legal grounds, but again, uh, even Citizenship Amendment Act would not hold uh, constitutional grounds. But we've we've seen how we are turning into a banana republic. So before the government clarifies our concerns, it is making things mandatory for us now. In, in india having a smartphone is not mandatory so i can walk around in the world uh, without having a smartphone but if i have a smartphone i need an app how is that uh, sensible is is the police officer who's checking on uh, the ground or a patrol car who stops me outside has the authority to check my smartphone for the platform what if i have a windows phone and i still have one very active right now what if i use that phone there is no app for windows phone there are no apps for feature phones of course the, while they are building on ios for geo phones but it is these kind of weird and outreach that this government does is why the trust factor even amongst people who agree with the uh, app and who agree with the need of the technology to fight the pandemic are then uh, a doubtful problem is a lot of people take their uh support for an app or a criticism of the app based on their political positions which is wrong I, if i'm a fan of the cult of modi then anything that this government pushes is okay by me and then i'll start justifying it to other people which is stupid which only showcases my ignorance or hypocrisy even those people who like this government and uh, would like all of us to have this app should ask these questions so they can convince more people to have this app so if i raise a question that uh, that person who likes this app and supports this app should make uh, should give me my answers and convince me so that i can also convince 10 other people um, but that that chain is not happening there there are no answers yeah that's pretty much true as a citizen we forcing each other to do whatever government is saying without asking any question that is needed uh, we are surely behaving like a brainless citizens and we forcing each other to do whatever government is asking without thinking anything without questioning anything and that is really sad 
Also recently I read an article on news portal that government is planning to use a bracelet kind of device uh, to track covid patient so that again raises a data privacy issue right. although again again the government denied it saying that this was fake news as they would like to call it but that misreporting probably was only about the type of device whether it's a wearable whether it's a bracelet which you just dangle whether it's a fitness band which has this something like this built in the difference is only that otherwise the report was accurate again for patients they are happy to do it uh, for a limited time i mean if the terms of conditions of that app that bracelet or wearable whatever that is with proper data privacy is maintained yes please do it that goes back to our first point no data privacy no defined uh, privacy no sunset date so if you give me a band for wearing for 14 days while i'm in quarantine i'm okay uh, if my data is protected considering my data is protected and the terms mention it clearly but uh, anything which is not uh, clear even if you read the terms of conditions of the arogya setu app they are very vague yeah that's true uh, sorry to interrupt you uh, they clearly mentioned the government is not responsible for anything in that app in that app particularly there is a screenshot i will mention in the description right also why while they have a privacy policy they don't have a terms of service which is in fact uh, not lawful uh, according to the itm act of i i think it's the intermediary uh, act i i am not sure but we can of course link it it's the information technology rules which was framed in 2011 they they, they mandate yeah they mandate that an intermediary shall publish uh, a terms of service but there is no terms of service a government app which people need to trust unfortunately does everything which breaks the trust the problem is that this government has a cult of its own and they are uh, obviously popularly voted government so there are a lot of people who uh, are happy with whatever they do and they lap up even the missteps of it so if if, if this government starts a new train tomorrow let's all clap and applaud the government but uh, tomorrow if they reduce the railways budget let's all criticize the government for it uh but unfortunately as we've seen in india uh the second part does not happen so even the missteps are uh kind of they are celebrated then uh, a lot of misinformation is spread around that so a lot of people who just rely on those sources uh are mistakenly uh convinced that this is the right thing so if a mainstream media would just keep telling you that arogya setu is the best app and kind of filter out all the criticism of it which is very justified criticism of it then uh, a common person watching television at 9 o'clock would not understand the issues with it it is it is very stupid uh, debate that a lot of people especially on social media would they what have you to hide uh, when you are discussing privacy or uh, you also give your data to facebook and twitter why are you why do you have an issue with arogya setu and all all those companies are liable in court uh, we we've seen uh, challenges that facebook has faced and all even if i i believe the punishment they've got is much less than they should have and they have a, a well defined privacy policy as a business they try to do everything to overcome that and make money out of our data uh, but there are checks and balances there with the government of india there are no checks and balances uh, not just with this government with any government even if the government changes tomorrow uh, there is no uh, personal data protection law also how you look at this rise of cult and known as it cell and the way it has been used by bjp and their growth in last 5 6 years especially when it comes to social media and fake news are we getting into this fake news pandemic or you think we already in oh, we, we 
we are already in that pandemic. I mean, uh, the second term of this government uh, was elected because of that pandemic. Uh, the, let's not make two bones about it. That that's very well evident. Uh, especially uh, the elections uh, in 2019 came at a period uh, when the economy was at its pits. Uh, unemployment uh, had risen to unprecedented levels, and overall, there were a lot of uh, messes uh, created by this government and a lot of valid criticism of this government. Still, they uh, kind of uh, one like they did was because of the misinformation that they cultivated. Uh, not just in 2014, not just in 2019, but uh, about since 10 years back. 2012 is what most political uh, journalists and analysts would would tell us. Uh, it is then when they build this uh, information channel where they can uh, push out information which glorifies uh, BJP, which glorifies Narendra Modi, which glorifies... Uh, the Hindutva thought and the RSS, and uh, in in a very embarrassing uh, and almost criminal way, uh, defame uh, the Congress Party, the Congress Party leaders, uh, the current government at that time, and uh, uh, Mr. Manmohan Singh, the PM at that time, and going as far back to uh, Jawaharlal Nehru, the first Prime Minister of India. So this this was very cultivated. Uh, the entire and it's awkward to debate this with uh, people who are uh, Narendra Modi fans and who, who don't listen to uh, uh, a logical argument. People established that uh, Rahul Gandhi is a papu. How did we know that he was a papu? Not all Indians have met him. It, it was all created in 2012, uh, starting 2012, because they saw that uh, Rahul Gandhi could be a. Uh, upcoming uh, prime ministerial candidate in the 2014 elections or 2019 elections. So a proper organized way of uh, even fake information about his past, his family, even Sonia Gandhi's family, and unfortunately, was all created. Uh, jokes were floated about how he likes Chota Bhim. I don't know how these are even created. I thought must be very creative IT cell people or uh, clip videos of his conversations. Uh, because obviously he's not the best speaker, uh, which at that time um, was one of the fortes of Modi. His oratory was very well appreciated. Although now I've realized in the last few years that it is a lot of bokum that he speaks and a lot of, uh, he, he also speaks a lot of class, which is not very dignified uh, for of a country. But at that time, oratory was his skill. He gave rousing speeches uh, to his fans. And contrast this to, Everything that uh, Rahul Gandhi did or Congress Party did was wrong. Uh, scams were created. Information about how uh, Hindus have be, have had problems in the country. As we are uh, discussing about politics and social ineptitude or majoritarianism, what do you make of terms like Hindu khatrimeh, privileged people crying foul? Uh, this majoritarian victimhood was created. Uh, for, for political purposes, of course, a country where 80% are Hindus. Uh, I, I, I'm an upper caste Hindu. I mean, I'm the most privileged person in this uh, in the Indian society. I've never faced any fastest issues. Um, also, I'm, I come from a financially secure background. My father was a doctor. So, uh, I, 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 as a doctor's son, I grew up in a, a decent amount of privilege in a small city in India. Uh, as, as an upper caste, I... I didn't even know what caste mattered because it never mattered in my case. Uh, I was 
I was opaque to that because I was not suffering from that. Uh, and living in a city where uh, mostly people were Hindu, so I, I had limited interactions with uh, Muslim people. I, I stayed in North India in a secure area, not, not like a Northeast or a Kashmir. So I'm one of the most privileged people, privileged samples of the Indian population. And uh, and people around me with similar, in, in my family or in my friend circle, with similar backgrounds have suddenly, uh, since last few years, started crying victimhood. I mean, I was never denied, denied admission in a university or denied a job because I was uh, uh, from a different community. I was never denied entry to any place because I... I was not from the caste that uh, that is honorable for those people. So uh, I've never faced any discrimination. Yet people like me are the ones crying victimhood, which is an immense amount of creativity, which is bizarre, exactly, which is bizarre to have been created and people following it as well. Uh, there, there are my NRI friends who have fancy jobs in the West, uh, in, in both Europe and in the US, earn a lot, uh, of course, because they are very talented, They've graduated from the top colleges in India, and they are now uh, uh, calling upon that this is the time uh, the cult of Modi has come, and this is time to save Hindus. I mean, save Hindus from what? How does somebody save somebody from privilege? I mean, how much privilege would I get? I mean, would you increase my religion's value or my caste value? I mean, I, I was always privileged. It is, it is uh, absolutely shameful for people like us to not recognize our privilege and cry victim. I mean, I'm also not a woman, even in a society like that, a gen with a gender bias, and not just in India, but across the world. I like, like I said, I'm the most privileged sample in, in this country. And if people like me can also cry victim mode, it is embarrassing as well as very shameful. You are denying all your privilege. You've lived life comfortably only because uh, somebody else was uh, suffering at the other end. Yeah, it is indeed shameful when people like us who cry victim mode, exactly. it is all manufactured. A few hours back, I tweeted that uh, if you can't find origin of your hate, it is manufactured. As simple as that's that. A, that. That's actually a good point, yes. Uh, so, uh, Hindu Khatrini has been the biggest scam of, for the past decade. Without doubt, it is the biggest scam. It, it's been there since while it's been cultivated. Uh, different governments, different political leaders, different communities have tried to uh hijack it for their own purposes but in the past 10 years how it's become mainstream uh has been uh very bizarre has been the biggest scam uh, that any government or individual or a community can ever pull i understand uh for my family uh my grandparents and people in that generation who suffered a partition and who, who suffered communal rights and if uh so my my uh grandparents uh, uh came from Pakistan and uh, we, we settled in India and uh, some of them lost family members in communal rights while they were migrating from Pakistan to India. Now, somebody in that position, if they hate a person, uh, a community or a country, in this case Pakistan, they have a certain emotional reason for it. If I, uh, it is obviously a great human trait to forgive and move on. Uh, we see a lot of people who uh, who move on, who forgive, uh, and they are the greatest human beings. But I understand. Yeah, go ahead. 
yeah the irony is most suffered communities during the part during and after the partition uh, were sikhs and muslims yes and 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 of course the the bangla uh, bangla folks especially in the 71 and all that uh, that because of the two partitions on both sides so uh, we, we i am a punjabi so uh, we, we suffered that so i understand if if somebody uh, of my grandparents age speak a little ill about uh, a muslim community member or pakistan uh, because they don't like that country because they they were ousted from that country as they believe and i understand that emotional baggage they carry because somebody seeing a family member being killed in the rights uh, similar is the case with communal rights uh, here and there whenever they've happened in india but for somebody again like a privileged person like me who's not seen a communal right or not been of that age to suffer partition why do i have a victim complex i was i was born in india i i was born in the town where i still have a home and i'm perfectly free to just drive to my home uh, do whatever i want uh, the college i chose was chosen on merit i gave an exam they didn't uh, have problems with my religion or my caste uh, the workplaces i work the clients i have i i kind of use my privilege to good effect to build my life so i don't understand the victimhood uh, that we see now like you said uh, there is no source of the hate i gave you an example where there is a source of hate and i excuse those people sometimes i'm okay having that conversation with them because otherwise i i have very little patience for uh, bigots and people who spew communal hate whether online or whether in in family and i don't prefer having that conversation with them but i understand that, uh, just exactly like you said when there is a source of hate and i then i try to talk i try to convince them and then i uh, give my point none of us are great human beings i i really appreciate people who seen uh, bad times and then still they move on forgive and forget the other day somebody on twitter was discussing about sikh history some some bjp person was trolling sikhs about some historic incident and i think it is good that the sikh community has moved on unlike the few bigots that we have uh, amongst rss and their fan fan base uh to forgive and forget uh, and move on to any crisis is great uh and is that uh, yeah go ahead yeah what i feel and see around me is that most hate is coming from majority community they haven't suffered anything enjoyed life or their parents enjoyed they witnessed the growth of country for and now when uh power is in there and like mr modi has come in so now they crying foul ki 70 saal se kuch nahi hua no that's right uh, uh, and it's no brainer you can only cultivate hate and work towards hate and be safe with all your hate only if you are a majoritarian if you are in a majoritarian state and if you are from a majority community i mean if i was a muslim person and the kind of tweets that i do i i'd honestly be jailed let's make no bones about the hypocrisy of how in the law and judiciary as well uh, even in cases of journalists covering uh, critical things even in cases of administrators who were spoken against the modi government and their religion their community and the states because of the federal structure of the country the state governments and the central government this government is vindictive of criticism but this government is also very uh particular about who that criticism is coming from what do you think when it comes to journalists who are reporting uncomfortable truth especially if they are women or if they are a muslim women journalist 
I, I hate to take names, but there, there are journalists like Anarfa Khanum Shirwani from The Wire or Rana Yu. While all women journalists who are critical of the government get X amount of hate, these two get an extra X plus N amount of hate just because their religion, religion is different. So that uh, hate is also a privilege of a, a majority community in India. There are laws which makes us equal. But the execution of the laws and how the government perceives it is not the same. During our discussion, we talked about how character assassination of Rahul Gandhi started around 2012 by IT cell. Uh, going back to that, my question is, are we using satire and jokes as a cope-up system or it is helping make things normal? Like, do you think there is a downside if we laugh and vent out at our government failures? Right, yes. Uh, no, I, I get it. And I, I'm also uh, often divided on it. So I don't enjoy too much of crass humor. I absolutely believe everybody should have uh, freedom of expression. We often compare ourselves to the US, which has uh, the most freedom of expression than anywhere else in the world. Whether you can joke about religion, active politicians, even the current president, and any institution, so to say. All countries, kind of uh, journalists and satirists and comedians in all countries try to have that kind of freedom of expression. In some countries, especially in the Middle East, it, you can't joke about religion. In Europe, you can't joke about certain institutions, royalty and things like that. In India, religion, the government and things like that. So uh, even with U.S., I don't, uh, I don't appreciate crass humor. So because that, that's my choice of consumption. I have no problem with somebody uh, making a new, all that portraits that were done for Donald Trump. As much as I despise that person, that's not something I enjoy. Uh, so that's a personal choice I've made. When it comes to satire, when, when it's done to inform, when it is punching up, I think that satire does the job especially in countries like India where the media is uh, where the compromise on not doing its job well. So somebody like an Akash Banerjee, I, I mean, e- even in the West, uh, John Oliver is the thing that I watch all the time. The satirist and while, while they started as being comedians, and uh, it's funny that we refer to them as comedians while they are the ones asking real questions, even Hassan Minaj in the US. So I, I appreciate that uh, somebody like Akash Banerjee is doing it. I uh, really like Manisha Pandey who does uh, the nuisance show on News Laundry. And people like those uh, with their satire in form and they're only punching up. Uh, it is a little awkward when either your satire or your comedy or your memes and jokes are punching down. Uh, I mean, and that's also, I, I guess, the first rule of comedy, you should never punch down. I mean, if I'm able-bodied, I would not make a joke about... Uh, or somebody who's handicapped or physically challenged or something. There's, of course, various forms of it. Uh, you can file it under dark humor and that's all good. Like, like I said, uh, everybody should be able to say anything and joke about anything. It's what uh, what is beneficial and what I enjoy. And in, in that sense, I see political satire as a very important uh, segment of media right now, especially in the field because the media is not doing the right job. I mean, if if I have uh, three mainstream papers uh, in Hindi and English and even the regional languages that I don't understand, uh, those mainstream papers which are critical of a government policy or a government decision, I don't think we need satire. I mean, then you may, you may satire celebrities, actors, cricketers, and I'm okay. The need for political satire is even more 
when the newspapers are not doing their job or the TV channels are not the, uh, doing their job. Uh, when your mainstream channels are somebody like uh, Sudhir Chaudhary on Z or uh, Anup Goswami of Republic, damn right you need a political satirist because the media that people are consuming is absolutely vile and uh, is stoking communal hatred, is uh, delivering government propaganda. So, uh, and, I, and I see why News Laundry got popular. Uh, uh, they, they had some, I, I don't remember the show's name, but uh, Madhu Trehan used to do it before, before uh, then uh, Manisha Pandey took it as... Clothesline, clothesline, I think. Clothesline, yeah, that, that's exactly. So yeah. that was the News Laundry's first show, Clothesline. And yeah. then a new sense. I, I see Apash is very popular on YouTube and uh, he also takes the, speaks here and there. So political satire becomes very important. However, yeah. let's not confuse political satire with the memes and all that goes. It's okay to laugh, it's good, but if memes have memes are targeting a community or delivering propaganda, then, then those are not laughable memes. That those are propaganda uh, disguised as humor. Also, what I observe in last 3-4 years is, people are passing off fake news and propaganda in the form of satire or memes. Absolutely, because uh, then you don't have the responsibility, because it is a joke. Even if I if somebody shares it on my Facebook and I correct him, he'll say, oh, this is just a joke. Because the idea is that you're making people laugh, not delivering information, while you are subtly hinting them at the information. And I tell you very uh, important thing, how this humor becomes as a vehicle for propaganda. If you re- recall, most of the uh, right-wing uh, Twitter celebrities, so to say, uh, most of them started as humor channels. Uh, most of them uh, were delivering jokes. Of course, those were jokes about the Congress government and all, but they were clean, neat jokes. I mean, if you want to joke about uh, a failed speech of Rahul Gandhi or uh, Manmohan Singh being silent all the time, those are jokes that everybody would enjoy without their political bias. Uh, if because Those are just good-natured jokes. And these people gained all the traction because of their humor. And then they started with the wild things that we see now. So now they, most of them are unapologetic uh, propagandists. But initially, they, they were delivering their propaganda only through jokes. And a lot of people, and uh, one reason of their huge reach amongst even the liberal uh, crowd and the left-leaning crowd and people who hate the bigotry is because they just make nice jokes. And I, and I remember, it, and I have observed it very specifically is because often I ask my friends who uh, retweet a joke from one of these uh, silly handles uh, and I make them uh, make a point to just uh, tweet at them and say, have you looked at their timelines? Because you might have found this uh, joke funny, which is a genuinely funny joke, but look at what uh, where it's coming from. And you are giving the vehicle to that person who, of course, has a million followers and uh, is delivering hate content every day. So uh, a lot of people fall in for that humor and that, that's been an interesting thing. And most of them uh, were anonymous back then, even if they had names, they didn't have their photos and all. Now, of course, all of these uh, have their names and identities because... They've grown in the IT cell and now they are what's the term? social yodhas yeah. in BJP. Yeah, so that's the official term that BJP uses. Yodha. Social yodhas or yodhas of social media, I don't know, something like okay. but it is yodhas. 
some th- thirty wow. selected by BJP who meet with okay, the prime yeah, minister yeah. and then there are a hundred yeah, under so all that. Yeah. And all like yeah, that. yeah, yeah. So that that's a like a reward, which is fair. I mean, they do human service for uh, the government. Yeah. Uh, given the pandemic we are in and work from home is what world is moving towards, uh, do you think digital economy will take a bigger role like in future, or do you think we again go back to old normal? Uh, no one will never go back to the old normal uh there will be transitions made uh, and we've been looking at it um, not just because of the pandemic but also since last couple of years in india for three four five years in in the west we see a lot of uh even the mainstream uh bollywood actors filmmakers and uh creative people venturing into ott and youtube Uh, I mean, all Bollywood stars have now YouTube channels. While it is, of course, a vehicle for their promotions and all that, but the need to be on digital has been coming along since a while. Now, when you are in a in a circumstance where you can't travel, and not just for period of lockdown or for the next one two months, uh, a lot would not happen for the next year or so. Uh, like I, I have a Microsoft event to attend later tonight and an IBM event to attend later tonight. This event. I've been in San Francisco, but I'm not in San Francisco right now, and neither the IBM uh, CEO would travel to India anytime soon. They've of course devised a digital experience. Now, all, all these uh, companies, entertainment providers, content providers, journalists would devise ways to uh, do things digital, move on with the new audience, of course. So a lot of things were coming to digital only because the audience was here. So. Uh, a bollywood filmmaker like an anurag kashyap decided to make an ott series because he realized that people are on netflix so let let me go where the audience us an actor like kasaf ali khan also uh, or manoj pashpe comes to ott they were coming only for the audience now the audience thing would be accentuated by the circumstantial need uh, there is a series uh, coming by rajya dk who are the filmmakers uh, who made Gogoa Gone and even The Family Man. They've made a series entirely in quarantine. Uh, and everybody, uh, the cast and the editors and everybody, the entire uh, uh, back-end uh, execution team has worked on their homes. So the actors have record, recorded themselves on their smartphones and everyone has different smartphones and different quality smartphones. Uh, and they've uh, transferred their videos to the editors and they've made... There's background music and everything. I saw an interview with them. I don't know when they are releasing it, but it's done entirely in lockdown with no person meeting the other person. So there will be creative components like that which would emerge out of it. If uh, if a top billing actress like Adipika Padukone decides to not travel abroad for the next six months, there would be filmmakers, advertising creators, directors, and other content folks who would make ways to use her to create content because of course safety is paramount and you're not traveling but you can't be at home six months not do anything so they again like like raj and dk somebody would think of a series now with lockdown restrictions eased off uh, especially uh, after this month or so with some limited amount of touch points available you can do a lot more uh, media has all uh, already been uh, trying out with mobile journalism and being more active on youtube See, I, I I do a lot of interviews these days online. Some some of them I travel to usually. And now if I realize this is great value, why would I do that again? 
a lot of NDTV interviews these days are the anchor in the studio, uh, which they have for their broadcast reasons, and the person sitting at home. If this becomes the new norm, then why would somebody travel to uh, for a basic fifteen minute interview? Uh, so, so all those uh, because the audience of digital is growing, uh, smartphone wave followed by the data wave, uh, geo led data wave. Now with mobile internet connectivity everywhere, more audience onto digital. But then while the content creators and mainstream businesses were trying ways to join that audience, this circumstantial need because of the pandemic has just accelerated that approach. So no, we'll never go back to the old normal. We'll find new ways. There will be more content engagements. Uh, one of the smartphone launches next week is via an online stream. So a lot of press conferences would happen like that. So a lot of promotional content would be made like that. And we will see new uh, avenues of engaging. So, and because of that, uh, digital economy will boom. Uh, while while we also buy a lot more devices, buy a lot more data, and work with more online services, whether it's digital advertising or payment platforms and things like that. So we will all kind of go, go in that direction. Any closing thoughts you want to give us? Okay, right. Uh, so the first thing I'd like to say is that uh, we are in just about in time when the lockdown restrictions are getting over and uh, some businesses are starting, some non-essential services would also start, stores would open. Uh, it is now, while there are a lot of misses of states and central governments and it is within our right to criticize them, but it is now our duty to kind of maintain self-discipline while we exercise the liberties that have been provided. We, we, we've already seen uh, a lot of mess that's been created because of the sudden uh, liberties that were offered and some restrictions that were removed. So uh, this, this virus is not going anytime soon. It's not like after 14 days, the virus would go away. Uh, we, we are in a safe zone that we've uh, maintained a lockdown. We've tried to kind of curtail the growth of it, but now it's time that we, whenever we venture out, we practice all that's been taught to us, socially distancing, uh, being very particular about hygiene and sanitizing, wearing a mask and things like that. Doing all that is recommended, but also not going out unless it's critical. I mean, just because you are allowed to go out uh, between 7 a.m. to 7 p.m., just don't venture out. Uh, don't do uh, non-essential travel or meetings and things like that. For about a month or so, everybody got used to video conferences and things like that. So unless it's your bread and butter depends on going out if you are in that kind of work. Try to be self-disciplined and just maintain social distancing as much as you can. Uh, because we, otherwise we will just stay in this for a longer period. The second thing uh, is something that uh, should be wasteful because it's advice for the government. So obviously they'll not consider it. Answer questions about Aroge Setu. There has to be clarifications. Obviously you need to make it non-mandatory, but you also need to announce a sunset date for the app, for the data that's captured and for and be particular about the purpose that this app would use the data for. At this moment, it's very vague. And also open source the app for security researchers. I mean, that's an obvious thing for the government. In fact, one of this government's appeal has been about open sourcing information. And it's right contradictory to that approach and that vision that the government app 
which is about data of citizens is not open source. So you need to bring everybody into the process, the activists, the academicians, the security experts to go for a cohesive solution. If there are issues with the app, I don't want to be uh, very negative and just discard the app, but unless there is trust built into the app and the entire process, we, we, we can't move forward. This is, uh, this is, it just makes it very untenable for the lockdown. Third, I would kind of, because we've talked politics and we've talked the government, it's imperative for all of us to ask questions. I mean, it is imperative for all citizens to ask questions, whether from the government, whether from the opposition, whether from academicians, whether from journalists or experts. Asking questions should not be looked down upon or criticized. I mean, uh, when we were in school uh, and to make us comfortable, the teachers would always say, don't hesitate to ask questions. And, and one of the popular lines is, there are no stupid questions, to encourage people to ask questions. And as we grow adults, suddenly that's become a problem. And if you are a citizen who, who's not bothered or who really likes everything that's going around in the world, it's okay if you don't want to ask questions, but don't criticize or don't judge other people who are asking questions. Because they're asking questions will make it make things better for everyone. The entire parliamentary system is based on asking questions. One political leader, one uh, member of parliament asks questions, the minister responds, uh, resp uh, responds with information at his uh, disposal. And that our governance is based on asking questions. Because the media is not asking the correct questions, because uh, you think your preferred journalist, your favorite uh, writer is not asking the bill it's your duty to ask questions uh, it, it's it's uh, I, and I, I think Ravish uh, uh, mentioned in his mega CC award-winning speech that uh, asking questions is the biggest form of patriotic duty that somebody can do and uh, I mean we should look no further than him so I, I think those are golden words Thank you very much it was a wonderful talk we agreed to do 15 minutes but it's already 60 minutes. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to be here. Thank you. Thank you very much for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review. Thank you very much. Have a nice day.